Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Uh, I love opening the Word of God. And I love God's Word. And I hold it in such high regard because it's actually a beautiful invitation to each and every single one of us. You see, when we open God's Word, sometimes I think we can approach it with the mindset of, oh, it can be like, especially when we realize that when we open up God's Word, sometimes it calls us to change. (laughs) Sometimes it actually transforms us. Who knows, that is at the very heart of this discipleship journey, change and transformation into His likeness. And I think of so many times in my life where I've, I've looked at God's Word and I read something that speaks to me and calls me to change and I can sort of go, ooh, shame, condemnation. <laughs> Who's felt that before sometimes, right? And it's just like, oh, I don't want to, you know, this is making some stuff being pulled out of me. But can I encourage you today? The Bible does not come with shame and condemnation. The Bible, God's Word, comes with an invitation. See, this invitation is a beautiful invitation for each and every single one of us to open our hearts, to sit aside our pride and to say, God, would you transform my heart? Would you transform the very reality of who I am? God, would you pull out all that is not of you and replace it with that which is godly, which is true and which is beautiful? And so as we get into it today, I just want to encourage you, wherever you are, in Myrie campus today, joining in our online community, or wherever you're at Port Kennedy, would you just have that posture of God? I don't want to hear more information, but I want an invitation to transformation. I want an invitation to sit at your feet to hear your voice. And so that's my posture today. And can I encourage you, let that be your posture as well. Now, I want to start today with a question. And you're probably thinking, oh man, (laughs) pop quiz. This is not what I signed up for. I didn't want a pop quiz on a Sunday morning. I didn't want any questions, Richard. This isn't Nations College. And the question I want to, you know, if you wanted to do Nations College, you would have signed up by now. Uh, The question I want to ask you all to, to just invite you to jump into this question today is a question that the Holy Spirit actually really asked me clearly last year. And the question is this, are you spiritually mature? And I just want to invite you all, whether you're online in Port Kennedy in the room today, I want to invite you all to maybe just answer that question in your head. This isn't a hands raised moment. I'm not yet, three hands at the back. Spiritually mature people, sweet, excellent. I'm not asking for that, but I just want you to engage with this question today. You see, this question is a little bit confronting, and when I felt the Holy Spirit asked me, I thought it was confronting. I was like, oh yeah, okay, this is a bit of an interesting question. And it's an interesting question and a confronting question, not just because of the question, but actually for how we measure our answer, how we actually measure spiritual maturity. So we could have a whole bunch of different things run through our mind. When I ask you, are you spiritually mature? Your answer could be based on, and you could measure your answer based on a whole bunch of different things. It could be your upright lifestyle. How many Christian disciplines are present in your life? Maybe it's how much you follow the rules. Maybe it's how much you serve the house of God. Maybe it's how much you operate in spiritual gifts. Maybe it's how, much you, you, you've been, how long you've been a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian, a disciple, a believer for 30 years, and all right, yeah, I'm spiritually mature. I've been following Jesus for 30 years. Maybe it's your title. Your role, your position. Maybe you're a leader. You're somebody who's actually ministered for many years. And we could have all of these things swirling around in our head about what the measure of spiritual maturity is. And really, this question can only be answered correctly when we understand what the measure of spiritual maturity is. I can't answer this faithfully if we don't actually know what the true measure of spiritual maturity is. Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. 
Now, who's familiar with the, Paul's letter to the Corinthians? Beautiful letters. I love them. There's so much that we, as a church family, even today, can glean from these beautiful, uh, precious letters that he writes to them. But these letters are confronting. If you've read the letter to the Corinthian church, you will know that it is a confronting letter. See, Paul actually writes to them and he calls them mere infants in Christ. <laughs> Paul writes to them and calls them spiritually immature. Spiritually immature. Paul essentially writes them and says, Corinthian church, you need to grow up. You need to grow up. Has anyone ever been told to grow up in this place? Who's been told to grow up? Maybe online, Port Kennedy, Mark and Mel Luter, you got your hands up, I'm sure. I hope that wasn't by each other in the same conversation. Uh, It's not a nice feeling to be told to grow up. A couple of months ago, I was um, just preparing a beautiful, a beautiful evening meal for myself, and uh, I just, I'd made my meal, it was beautiful, and the cherry on top of my evening meal was hot chips. Who loves hot chips? Now, something you need to know about me is like, it's hot chips are high on the list of what I love in my life, and some people are with me on this. I know Clara Lorcan is, she loves them. Can't get enough of them. I love my hot chips. And we would know that um, if you're a good hot chip enthusiast, you would know that hot chips are not created equal. There are, there's no bad hot chips, but there are good hot chips and then there are elite hot chips. And I just remember looking at my evening meal and there was one hot chip, chip in particular. You know when you're looking at your food and you're just eyeing off that one bit of food that looks really good? Like, and I was looking at this hot chip, it was crunchy, it was, it was, I was just, I'd already eaten it in my mind. Like the chip was already down my throat, but, and that's where I was at, I just wanted it so bad. And no sooner had I decided that that hot chip was going to be the first one I ate, had the beautiful hand of my fiancé reached across to my plate, <laughs> grabbed that hot chip, and put it in her mouth. Now my fiancé isn't here this morning, but if you know my fiancé, she loves to steal, I share food, not steal food, she loves to share food. She loves to share food. It's a grace gift on her life. She loves to share food. <laughs> now, we just had a, we, we'd had an argument before this encounter. She reaches across, she grabs my hot chip, she puts it in her mouth, she eats it. We'd had an argument just about 10 minutes prior to this. And in that moment, I wasn't too impressed. And I turned to her and I said, replace it. <laughs> replace it. <laughs> what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Was I thinking she was going to drive down to Chicken Treat? Like, get me a family box of chips, bring me back one chip out of it, here you go. (laughs) I told her, replace it, and she turned to me and she goes, Richard, grow up. (laughs) Who knows that she was right in that moment? What am I thinking? You can take the hot chip, it doesn't matter. But that thought of being told to grow up, in that moment, do you think I was impressed? No, because that thought that you are being immature that you are acting like a child is not a good thought. So like, no, I would never, I don't need to grow up, I'm acting mature, I'm an adult, I would never do something immature. And you can imagine how cutting the words to the Corinthian church would be. Whew. I don't know what just happened then, but we'll just say it's all in God's will. Uh, you can imagine how cutting the words to the Corinthian church would be when Paul tells them that they are spiritually immature. Now, Paul's not just saying they're spiritually immature because they're only a couple of years into their faith journey. Paul's actually calling them spiritually mature because of how they're treating one another. And Paul's seen it. He's heard about it in the way that they treat one another, in the way that they treat members in their community. And Paul says, you're measuring your spiritual maturity by the wrong indicators. We jump into this beautiful passage, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now we're familiar with this passage. And Paul goes on to share and he expands on what love is. It's not self-seeking, it's patient, it's kind. Beautiful, amazing things. But look at what Paul calls nothing here. A faith that can move mountains. Operating in spiritual gifts. He labels all these things crazy generosity. See, the truth and the reality for the Corinthian church and the truth and the reality for the church today is that we could be operating in spiritual gifts. We could be leading. We could be a pastor. We could be serving the house of God. We could be a Christian for 30, 50 years, but still not operate out of love. And if so, what does Paul say? Nothing. Nothing. See, what we don't realize sometimes and what the Corinthian church was failing to realize in this moment, that the true measure of our spiritual maturity is found in how well we love one another. The true measure of our spiritual maturity is found in how we love well one another. See, Paul didn't just have this revelation by himself. This actually comes from Jesus. You know, Jesus shares a new command he gives that we would love one another. Just as he has loved us, we should love one another and so that people will know what? We are his disciples. We are his followers. We are being Christ-like. We are being spiritually mature. Matthew 22, a bunch of religious leaders come to Jesus and they try and like trick him. They love doing that. So they just catch Jesus out. Good luck, fellas. And so they go to him and they try and catch Jesus out and they say, Jesus, give us the best command. Give us your top one. Like, I don't want your top five. One commandment, Jesus, that's what we want from you. And they ask him, one commandment, please. Jesus doesn't give one. He doesn't give one. Why? Jump in, Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, the key bit in this passage is where Jesus says is like it. In the Greek, this word is homoios. And what that just basically means, this Greek word homoios, is like it means being of the same essence. The same essence, some translations will say exactly like it. Some will say of the same substance, interconnected. What Jesus is saying to them and is saying to us is that loving God and loving people are inseparable. Loving God and loving people are inseparable. And you see it all throughout Jesus' teachings. All throughout his teachings, all throughout New Testament scripture, I think of 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And it's clear all throughout New Testament Scripture, all throughout Jesus' teachings, that it just demonstrates for us that our love for God will be revealed in how we love others. In how we love others. And maybe when I asked you that question at the start, are you spiritually mature? You had these running through your head. Maybe it was the title that you've held in church circles. Maybe it's the leadership qualities and your influence. Maybe it's the spiritual gifts that you operate in. Maybe it's your charisma, your ability to speak well. You're gifted and talented, your popularity, your righteousness, how much you serve the house of God, how much knowledge of scripture you have, maybe even how long you've been following Christ. But see, the very real problem for us and the very real problem that faces believers wherever we are is that we can do all of those things, but if we don't have love, there's no benefit. And it's just so easy to live believing in God, but not actually loving. And we can lead and not love. 
And we can pastor and not love. And we can run whole church ministries and not love. And what does Paul say? Nothing. And we can operate in wild, crazy spiritual gifts. These are good things, right? These are not bad things. But without love, nothing. And we can remain believers for many, many years, following Christ for many, many years, and we can remain unloving, judgmental, overly critical, closed off, not being able to take criticism, proud, and all of these things we can have still in our life that if we don't have love, Paul says it's nothing. So all of these other things, title, position, how long we've been a Christian, that is not the measure of our spiritual maturity, but only love is. Loving others well is how we measure whether we are becoming more Christ-like. But loving well isn't easy, and it's actually something we have to learn. Is a bang, we become a Christian. I can love so well. <laughs> I don't get frustrated with anyone anymore. Everyone fits exactly how, and it's a beautiful community, and there's rainbows in this church. No one offends me, and everyone's really happy. No. I don't know what church you're going to, uh, but, you know, m- maybe I can join sometime. We'll <laughs> flick you an email. Uh, we say stuff like, you know, I'd be an amazing Christian if it wasn't for people. You know, if people didn't rub me up the wrong way, if I didn't disagree with people, but there are very real pains and obstacles to loving well. Because people hurt us, people tear us down, people wrong us. And there are other very real obstacles where we don't like people or we disagree with them, right? And we, we just, we don't agree with them on that theological topic or that issue, or they do things that we find questionable that we're not a fan of. And all of these things can stop us loving well. But let's be clear today. Your love for God will be expressed in your love for others. And if you want to know and get a check on your heart and the state of your heart and the state of your spiritual maturity and whether you are becoming more Christ-like, just look how you love others. Just look at how you're loving others in your life. That'll be a true mirror and indicator to whether you are loving God. So there's many different ways where we can learn to love well. We offer forgiveness in difficult circumstances. Maybe we live self-sacrificially. Maybe we live in a posture of humility. All of these uh, amazing different things. And today I want to focus in on one way in particular that we can learn to love well as believers. That we can learn to be Christ followers in the way that we love others. And I hope it's clear to all of us in Port Kennedy, online, in Myrie, this morning, today, that love is the measure of our spiritual maturity. Love is the measure of our spiritual maturity. Now, as we walk through this area... As we walk through this area and we look at these different passages of Scripture, it is my prayer for myself and for all of us as believers that we would stop and we would reflect and we would look inwards and let the Holy Spirit Spirit truly change and transform areas of our lives to make us more loving people. To make us more loving people. And the area I want to look at today is learning to love with our words. Learning to love with our words. Learning to become spiritually mature with our words. Everyone just pause for a moment and think. Think about the words that you spoke this week. Did they bring life or did they bring death? Did they build up or did they tear down? Did they heal or did they wound? You see, our words are important. Who knows that? Our words are important. They hold more power, I think, than we can even realize when we blurt them out. Think about the shaping nature of words. Think about in your own life the significance of what people have spoken over you and how much that can shape you. Think for a moment about every single positive word someone's spoken over you. Every shaping word over your life where someone spoke a truth maybe to you that you struggled to believe in yourself. 
where someone encouraged you in a moment where you had so much doubt in yourself, where someone maybe spoke prophetically into a situation, into a moment where it was exactly what you needed. Our words can be used in such amazing ways, would you agree? And we've all been the beneficiary of words that have built us up before, words that have encouraged us, words that have spoke you know, so specifically and prophetically into a situation. We've been the beneficiary of these words. We've been the beneficiary of God's own words to us that have shaped us and built us up. And that's how God would desire us to use them for one another, to build up, to honor, to love well. And my question today is, for us as believers, and my question to myself is, am I loving well with my words? Do I love others well with my words? Am I spiritually mature in the way that I love well with my words? And that's the question I want to invite us into today. And the first area I want to look at is, because there's going to be areas that we struggle with as believers, the first area is gossip. Now, gossip can be a huge issue in any relationships, in any culture and community areas. Now, when we gossip, we choose to bring death through our words. We say things about people and we share things, information, News, mistakes, stories, things that are not ours to share. And we share it behind people's backs. And I think we actually do this because deep down we all desire intimacy. We desire vulnerability. We desire connection with one another. That is ingrained and built into us. But so often when we gossip, we settle for a cheap and evil substitute. Because we share somebody else's vulnerability. We share somebody else's mistakes. We share somebody else's flaws. We share things about somebody else and we feel like at the end of it, maybe we feel like we contributed something valuable. We get a rush in the moment. We share things about somebody else that wasn't ours to share and we take this cheap, instant connection rather than risking a possible rejection by sharing our own struggles and our own flaws and our own trials and our own mistakes. And so we share somebody else's vulnerability. But what good is a relationship built on someone else's vulnerability? It's not ours. See, gossip reveals spiritual immaturity. It reveals a lack of love for others. How can we truly say we love others when we're one thing to their face and another behind their back? When we readily share information that is theirs to share, and we can easily do this as believers. And we could sit here today saying, Richard, I haven't gossiped since the third grade. (laughs) But the reality is for us as believers, it's just all too easy for us. It's all too easy to go and just complain about someone behind their back as the first thing we do. Someone wrongs us, I can't believe they did this. This person's that, this person's that, and we just tear them down. And it's our first response. Why? It's a learnt response from the world. And before we know it, it can become habitual in our lives, where the first thing we do in response is we just go and talk about somebody else. And we end up talking more about other, other people's faults and flaws than our own to other people. And to those nearest and dear to us, we don't open up about our own faults, but we open up about everybody else's. It can be habitual in our lives. And we end up refusing to look inwards. We refuse to look at our own issues. And when we talk about other people, we're not talking about ourselves. We're not opening up with our own struggles, with our own areas where we're struggling, with our own areas of mistakes. And you know what else we're not doing? We're not dealing with conflict well. Because we go and if someone wrongs us, all right, well, I'll just complain to somebody else, gossip to somebody else. And when we don't deal with conflict well, we're not dealing with Christ's model on it. What does he say? Go to a brother, go to a sister, and deal with it. And so we can easily go and, well, no, we'll avoid it. And then what happens? It leads you into not forgiving. It leads you into being judgmental. It leads you into cutting off relationship with that person. And those are the fruit of our words. Death from death words. 
Can I encourage you, if uh, you find yourself at certain times where people come and they might want to gossip to you or they want, might want to share things with you and you find it really difficult to stop, can I, just, can I encourage you? You are responsible for your own words and your own response. See, I used to find it difficult when someone wanted to come and just maybe slander someone else to me or, or say something about someone or get something off their chest to me. I used to f- feel really uncomfortable with saying, hey, actually, sorry, these words aren't loving. I would feel really uncomfortable. Why? Because it makes for an awkward situation. It's an awkward situation. Sorry, these words aren't loving, and I love you too much to let these words of death come out of your, your mouth. That makes for an awkward convo. Read through the Gospels. Jesus is just chock full of awkward conversations. It's not easy. It makes for awkward conversations, but it's what we've been called to. You know, in the same vein, I think our culture and society can get in the habit of tearing people down. You know, we speak about people, sometimes it's in a joking way, sometimes it's just in conversations, and we're just pulling them down. I know whether it's an Aussie thing sometimes, but we just love to tear down sometimes with our words, joke about people, speak about them in a negative light. Sometimes they're present, sometimes they're not, but when our words don't build up and they tear down, does that reveal a genuine love for them? You know, sometimes our words, we want to think we're spiritually mature, and yet our words are reflecting something of a child. They're words that tear down. They don't build up. They don't bring life. They bring death. And sometimes we can be overly judgmental and critical in this way. I can't believe that person did that. What were they thinking? How did they do that? Oh, well, what's wrong with them? And we can be so unaware of our own faults and flaws. And we can stand there in judgment over a brother and sister and we call, can list out all of their mistakes and we're not aware about all of the mistakes that have just been leaking behind us that we're not aware and acquainted with. Because we've all got our own brokenness. And sometimes we mask it as a joke or, you know, we don't mean it. <laughs> we don't mean it. But really what it is, it, it, it is, we jump into James. Listen to how James puts this. James 3, 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. A couple of months ago, the Holy Spirit really convicted me in this area. See, I love to joke around. If you know me, I I just love to joke. Can't get enough of it. Love to joke around. And sometimes my jokes go too far to being a bit sarcastic and to, to call it what it is, just tearing people down. And I realized very quickly after a while that actually maybe some of those jokes, they're just not funny. They're not funny because they don't bring life, they don't build up, they just tear people down. And how do they feel at the end of it? And I was beginning to, uh, the Holy Spirit made me really acutely aware of this and in particular highlighted an area where I'd actually wronged a brother in Christ in this way. And I'd made jokes about this person behind their back with other friends, and we'd said things about them that weren't true, and we'd made jokes about them just in that moment, and we were joking, and sure, we would have said and minimized it, it was a joke, but the Holy Spirit just hit me right there and said, Richard, that was wrong. That did not bring life. That brought death. And I sort of was, okay, Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit just said, you know what? You need to go and seek forgiveness from your brother. And I thought, oh man, this is going to be an awkward conversation. Because that person doesn't even know. And I could easily just stuff it and say, yes, God, I've learned that lesson. I'll never do that again. But the Holy Spirit said, go and share with your brother. Go and ask forgiveness. Go and make them aware of how you've wronged them. And so I went and I shared. And I sat down them and um, their response just absolutely wrecked me. I just want to share a little bit of a paraphrase of their response. Richard, I forgave you when it happened. I knew you didn't really like me. I could sense it. I knew I irritated you and I was different to you and I could sense that. And so I knew you were closed off to any relationship with me. 
And there was a part of me that wanted to resent you and avoid you and think poorly of you. But instead, I made a choice at that time to forgive you, to encourage you when I saw you, to pray for you in secret and to love you. I was just struck by their spiritual maturity in that moment. And I sat there and I just thought back. There was me making jokes behind the back. No one will know. <laughs> it's just a joke. It's just a joke with friends, with other Christian brothers and sisters. It's just it's a small joke. I don't really mean it. And I'm thinking, no, I'm a mature guy. I call out a difference there. Things like this. And no, I'm acting like a child. I'm acting like a spiritual baby, a mere infant in Christ. And their response was one of true spiritual maturity. Why? Because if you look at the crux and the highlight of all of Jesus' talk on loving others, one of the most emphasized points in there is loving our enemies. Jesus says that the world loves those who love them. Easy. Easy. But I call you to a higher standard, to love those who hate you. And you know, in that moment, I was acting like someone's enemy. I was. Did you know that in most of your life, most of your enemies will actually be other brothers and sisters in Christ in the way they treat you? And that's just the messy nature of community and relationships, right? We can be real with our own brokenness. And I, I just remember being hit in that moment and I was acting like someone's enemy. And their response was not to say, I forgive you and then just resent me and avoid me in public. You know, say, say I forgive you, but actually like every time they see me succeed or get, you know, uh, honored or, and they go, oh, but if they really knew what this guy was like, their response was to actually deal with the emotion, deal with the hurt and to offer forgiveness and to love. That's a spiritually mature response. That's not an easy response to love someone when they are acting like your enemy, when they're acting like your enemy. That's a love that comes at cost to yourself. It's a love that comes at cost to the easy route, right? And maybe yourself, these areas of gossip and tearing down, you've maybe if we do an audit on our words and you reflect, well, I can see a little bit of that in my heart. Or with that person that I'm close to, sometimes I fall into that with them. And can I encourage you? The goal of the Christian journey is not shame and condemnation. It's an invitation to transformation. And we can only, we can only allow God into a space that we're aware of. God doesn't just change us. He changes us when we allow him to. And so today, maybe areas are being highlighted to you just as they were that day to me. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. There's an invitation to be transformed. I think it can also be so easy for our words to be dishonest in how we speak to one another. And we, we do it in just little areas. A little lie so as not to offend. <laughs> a little lie so as not to offend. A, a little lie so as to not get me in trouble. A little lie to make myself look better than in reality. Whew. We egg up those stories. You know, we say, uh, we say things like it's fine when it's not, and we actually have an issue to deal with. You know, we say things like, you know, I'm really good when we're actually struggling. We say things like, I'd love to be there, when we desperately need time with our family and to ourselves. And we do these things, and we compromise our honesty on little areas. And we do it for the sake of just being nice. And we do it for the sake of our own comfort, because we want to avoid awkward situations, but we give up our honesty and our authenticity and our integrity with the way we speak to one another. It's not a spiritually mature response to lie to someone for the sake of our own comfort. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, is what Christ says. There should be no question for people to question the validity of the words that you speak. There should not be an entry for them to question, is that true? Does that mean yes? Is that no? Is this true? Is this honest? Because how can we expect to build true and healthy relationships without trust? What are relationships built on? Trust. Honesty. 
Lies make intimacy impossible because relationships are built on truth. And where there is truth and trust, there is safety. As the band joins me today. The reason why loving well with our words is so important to God is because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we can, I think we can kid ourselves at times where we minimize different aspects of our faith. And words can be one of those things. I didn't mean it. It was a joke. No, they'll never know about it. It's just a small thing. It doesn't matter. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we want to mirror into what's going on inside our heart, on our inner life, our inner world, just look what comes out of our mouth at times. And sometimes the world will put us in situations that will reveal it. Times of stress, times of great pain, times of areas where it's just like it's a pressure cooker and next minute the things that come out of our mouth is death. Death. We act and it reveals maybe in that area is there some spiritual immaturity that we're not aware of. And we can find ourselves acting out of this area where there is brokenness that we're not aware of but it comes through the guise of how we speak about one another. You know, it's funny, a week after I had this conversation with this brother in Christ, a week after I sat down with him and shared and I heard his response and I was just so hit by the response and drawn to such a place of repentance and sitting at God's feet of where I had wronged him and not loved him well. I find myself uh, being called up my, my beautiful fiance, Lavinia. And she is someone, and what drew her to me was that she is the same person just pretty much in front of everyone. It doesn't matter their title, status, reputation. She's just the same person in front of everyone. She loves people well. I love that about her. She loves people well. And in all the years of knowing her, I've never heard her speak ill of someone. Not once. In fact, quite the opposite. There's been many times where I've been frustrated, angry, disappointed in people or seen something I didn't like and I've gone to bring death with my words and she said, Richard, that's not loving. That is not a loving response. She loved me too much to let the death come out of my mouth. She let me too much to serve the enemy in that moment. And she calls me up and she's in tears. And words somehow gotten around to her about uh, some people who have been slandering her and slandering us as a couple. And saying things that are really hurtful. Saying things that are also dishonest. That tear down. That don't build up. That don't bring life. That they bring death. And I'm looking at her in that moment. And I'm holding her as she cries. Holding her as she cries. And the protector and the righteous anger in me stirs up, right? You know, and you're just like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And my muscles tense. And I start to get angry and my breathing intensifies. And I'm just saying things like, say it to my face. You know, I'm thinking, I've been learning boxing recently. I'd love to practice on another human being. All of these things are coming out and I'm just feeling it building up in me and feeling the Holy Spirit just smacks me right there in that moment. Just smacks me right there in that moment, stops me and brings me to awareness. Why am I angry? Why am I full of rage? Is it maybe pride? How dare they? How could they say that? Can I handle being wronged by someone and still respond with love? Or if someone wrongs me, am I just like a child and I get angry and out of rage? How dare they say that? Is it maybe fair of what people think? What if they believe something that's not true? What, 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 if, what if someone's heard something that was a lie about me? And so I sit there in that moment and my breathing slows down. My muscles, they untense. And I sit and I realize it for what it is. It's a test. God's not testing me. But it is a test that will reveal whether there are lessons that are being learned in my heart with how I love others well. And in that moment, there are people acting like my enemies, acting like her enemies. 
And how am I gonna respond? Will I respond like my brother who looked at me when I was acting like his enemy and say, you know what, I forgave you even as you did it and I chose to love you, forgive you and to walk that path? Will I act like Jesus who says you are to love those even who curse you, call you down, tear you down and bring death? And I'm sitting there in that moment and really what's happening in that moment is Christ and the Holy Spirit is bringing me to a position of realizing that I have a choice in this moment to be spiritually mature or immature. And I sat there afterwards and my, my, heart, my heart was heavy after what had just taken place because, you know, I was feeling sad about it and hurt about it. But it took me to a place of forgiveness. And afterwards I was feeling heavy and I'm like, why am I still feeling a bit heavy though, you know? Journey forgiveness for these people and, and walk out the very real effects in my life. But I realized uh, many hours later that my heart was heavy, heavy, not for how someone had wronged me, because what had happened at that moment, that being wronged in that way, someone bringing death words in my life just made me acutely aware. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you know, Richard, you can be angry about people for bringing death words in your life, or you can let it be an opportunity for you to recognize where you're bringing death with your words in your life. And to stop for a moment, Richard, and take an audit of your words. Do you gossip? Do you tear down? Even if it's just with that close friend, even if it's just with that one person, but when you're with that person, you're, there's no filter. Do you speak dishonestly? Do you do these things? And the Holy Spirit invited me in that moment to not look at the wrongs of my brother, but instead to look inwards. I'm reminded about a plank in my own eye, right? And so I look inwards. And these things are not easy, right? These things are not easy at times in our life because it's all too easy for us to bring death with our words. All too easy for us to choose gossip, to tear down, to be dishonest. And we, when we do that, we bring death to people, relationships and to unity in the church. And we can see the very real effects in our life, in the small scale to the large scale. But I don't know about you, but I want my words to bring life. I want my words to build up. I want my words to encourage. I want them to be honest. I want to live a spiritually mature lifestyle because I am loving well, with my words. Do you know what that looks like? Let me put it up on the screen. This is what it looks like. It looks like choosing not to complain about people in frustration behind their back, but going to someone if there's an issue. It's what loving well looks like. It looks like not sharing information that is not yours to share. It looks like building people up and not tearing them down, encouraging people, being honest with people, being the same to someone's face, behind their back, being loving and truthful, not judgmental and overly critical, and being real and open and vulnerable with people. And do you know what the fruit of all that is? Life and unity. We're speaking about being united as a church. Could you imagine the unity and the life and the love that comes from when we honour people with our words and we love people well with our words and we can speak about love and say, yeah, I'm a loving Christian, but not actually think about what it looks like to love well. And the question and the invitation to all of us today is to enter into that because we are solely responsible for the words we speak. We can blame it on a friend, a situation, how we were feeling that day, but ultimately it stops with us. And our words are a mirror because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so often in our lives, we can think about these areas that are in there and the tendency can be, oh, shame, condemnation. Richard, this is a difficult word. Calling to change. Yes, we are calling to change, but we're calling to be transformed. And, and this is the beauty of it. 
This is the beauty of it. It's laced all throughout Scripture. We are called to change, yes, but in the context that we're already accepted and loved. And here's the thing. We would still be accepted and loved if we didn't change. It's beautiful. That's the context we're called to change in. That's the context we're called to be transformed in. I'll just invite wherever you are, in this place, why don't you stand to your feet? At Port Kennedy, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to close really shortly. And in a moment, the the band's actually going to lead us in a song. And it's a beautiful song. And can I just encourage you, if you're online, don't switch off. Don't be thinking about what your Uber eats afterwards because you're an ISO. Just just centre yourself right now and put your attention onto God. Let the Holy Spirit begin to minister you in this moment. See, the reality is, is that these areas, they affect us as people because we are people. We are flawed. We are brokenness. And we would be foolish to think that our brokenness sometimes wouldn't just leak out in our life to those around us. But let me tell you, when we're aware of our brokenness, there's a beautiful invitation and opportunity to sit at God's feet and to say, Lord, would you change me? And Lord, would you change these areas where I haven't loved well? And the thing about it is sometimes I find out, I look at myself, I can be so proud at times. Ah, Richard, I don't struggle with that anymore. You know, I dealt with that. I learned that lesson. I just encourage you right now, pause where you are. Do it in order of your words. Are they bringing life or death? Are they building up or tearing down? When you get alone with that person, as your filter disappears and all of a sudden it's just like death, death, death. It can be so easy for us. And the team in a moment is going to lead this beautiful song. And I love the lyrics of this song. A beautiful old song. And the lyrics really speak to me because it's just this beautiful picture. And I, I, the, I just, every time I hear the lyrics, you know, take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound to your ear. These lyrics stick in my mind. And I'm reminded of that passage in James. And it can be so easy for us to sing our praise and our worship when we are in congregational worship settings like this and to speak life with our words. And yet about our brothers and sisters, we can bring death. What does James say? This should not be. And so in this moment now, we have an opportunity to let these lyrics flow over us. See, there's something wrong when in a worship moment our words bring life, but then we get outside and so easily we can bring death. But the opportunity present to us is God would see all of it be worship. God would see the way we speak about one another as a sweet, sweet sound into His ear. The way we honour one another should be worship to God. The way we build up and encourage one another should be worship to God because it's all from that place of love. And so as the band leads us in this place, I don't want you to sing, but just let these words minister to you. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let Him do an audit right now on the words that you speak. Lift your hands online in Port Kennedy. Center yourself on your Heavenly Father. The one who is present in your life. 
not to lord over you and sit in judgment and condemnation on you, but to be present with you to transform you and to bring you to a place of being restored as was originally intended. And I just get a real sense that in this place, there are a few different people. Maybe, you know, you've looked at your own life and you've seen areas where there's been death coming out of your mouth and those words, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. And the Holy Spirit's refining that area for you. You know, I just feel like so often we speak a resurrection power. You know, and the preacher says, who wants resurrection power in their life? And we go, yeah, I want that in my life. The reality is we have resurrection power with the words we speak. Resurrection power, bringing life out of death. And we can choose to see death situations around us, see people who are discouraged, see people who are broken and hurting, and we can choose to bring life. We can walk in resurrection power. We can do the opposite. And I also just feel in this place, as everyone is engaged with their Heavenly Father online, Port Kennedy in the room, I just feel there's some people specifically, and there's been death words spoken over you. And the very real effect of death words is that they are painful. They're called it for a reason. They tear you down. They discourage you. They they, they break you. But can I just encourage you? For every death word spoken about you, there is a greater truth. And there is a greater truth that is found in God's Word, a word of life. And so I don't know whether you're online or you're in Port Kennedy, but I just get a sense that there's people. In particular, I feel like maybe your father has spoken death words over you. Maybe when you were younger, or maybe it's happened recently. But there's been constant death maybe coming from His lips. And I just don't know who you are, but in this moment, I just want to encourage you that the Word from God and the life words from God are there to build you up, to encourage you and to cut through the lies of the enemy. To cut through the lies of the enemy. And so maybe you've been on the receiving end. And the opportunity for you today is to sit in truth and not death. And the opportunity for you today is the same as it is for all of us to do an audit of our words and to sit at our Heavenly Father's feet and let Him transform. And so in this moment, come on, engage with your Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, I just thank You for every single hand raised, every single heart towards You right now. And God, I just pray that we would be a church, nation's church would be a church of people that bring life with the words we speak, that we would encourage, not discourage, that we would speak life, not death. We would heal with our words, we wouldn't wound that we would be the same to people's faces behind their back. We would be authentic and honest and open with our words, that we would use our words, God, as You designed them, as You intended them to bring life. Holy Spirit, transform in this moment. And we allow You and we let You into our areas of brokenness. We become acquainted with them again, God, and we sit them at Your feet and say, God, would You transform? We say yes to Your invitation for You to move in us in this moment. And so just one more time, the band's going to sing. But you just sit there and you sit in His presence. And we can let this pass by, sure. But we can also sit at His feet and let Him truly transform.
Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.